welcome to Awaken uh, in our podcast. We had some technical difficulties a couple of weeks ago when we started a series on worship. And I wanted to go back and just in an abbreviated fashion um, highlight a couple of things that we discussed because uh, what we tried to do in this teaching was really lay down a foundation and a framework, a grid that we will kind of look at worship through for the rest of this series. And uh, so it was a bummer that we, that we didn't get it on tape, but I uh, wanted to just give you some thoughts about that today uh, as I drove home from work with my cool new quick voice recorder app thing. Uh, but if we're going to talk about worship and if we're going to do a series on worship, we should probably start with a, a definition of worship. And according to MiriamWebster.com, uh, worship is to honor or reverence as a divine being or supernatural power. It uh, goes on to say, to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. And I would add to that, uh, when we ascribe definitive and ultimate worth to something or someone. Uh, the Bible talks about this, uh, as it talks about worship as something that we give a place of honor and position to in our heart. Uh, uses language like glory or honor or praise. Um, but it's, it's essentially this idea of that thing or those things that hold these special places in our lives, in our hearts, uh, in our souls really, that we give honor or position to. And really we allow them to speak into who we are. We allow them to give us significance and meaning and, and value uh, because they sit at the center of who we are as people in our hearts. And uh, quite frankly, if you talk about worship, um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions. I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about what worship is. Uh, even in, in the book of Amos and Isaiah, you get the prophets saying to, to the Israelites, essentially, like, I'm done. God says, I'm done with all of your worship. I'm done with your, your sacrifices and your offerings and all these different things. And you play on your harps and you bang on your drums and all this. And it's just noise to my ears. Like, I'm sick and tired of it. Uh, he says, if you really want to worship, uh, you should take, take care to make sure that justice and mercy are are." pursued, um, take care of widows and orphans and things like that. And so there's this idea that even Israel, you know, the chosen people of God often got this idea of worship totally wrong. Um, certainly not, not anything new in our culture. Um, I think when you, when you talk about worship with people, you get a number of different responses. Um, and I want to kind of work through a couple of misconceptions that I think we find in our culture as it relates to worship. And the first is this, uh, that only religious people worship. Because let's be honest, when you talk about words like worship, glory, honor, praise, uh, these words just reek of church and of religion. But actually, uh, if we're going to begin to understand worship and understand a complete definition of worship, you have to understand that all of humanity worships. Worship is not something that just Christians do or, or is limited to churchgoers or spiritual people, but rather it's something that every single human does. Because worship is about the song that's in our hearts. Worship is about what drives our lives and impacts our decisions. Uh, if you look at in, in the book of Acts, in, in the 17th chapter, Paul finds a group of people who 
Uh, in the translation, most of the times it says, Paul says, I see you're very religious people, but you could probably say more accurately that these people are, are f philosophers, uh, people who are engaged in, in all kinds of different um, ideologies of their day, but mainly philosophical people. And Paul uh, finds an altar that's built to an unknown God. And then he says, I want to proclaim to you, I want to declare to you that which is that which you which you say is unknown, I want to make known to you. Um, why would Paul say that? Why would Paul, uh, why would these people have an altar to an unknown God? Uh, I want to say that it's because hardwired into humanity is the desire to worship. And as trite as it might sound, Chris Tomlin was right uh, when he said, you and I were made to worship. Uh, what it means to be human is connected to this impulse in us to worship something, uh, to place something of honor, uh, give it a, a place of position and privilege, and allow it to speak into our lives, define us, give us value, uh, those types of things. And culturally, we do this in all kinds of different ways. I mean, think about athletes, you know, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, um, some of these football players, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, there's, a, there's a level of worship that our culture uh, participates in with these people. Um, think about some of the, the music uh, venues and scenarios that we could see ourselves in. A U2 concert where you have thousands and thousands and thousands of people all gathered around singing together to what, to who, to something other than what they can see, feel, and touch. Um, I mean, we just watched the Oscars last night. There's this whole worship of celebrities and of power and prestige and even clothing and some of these things and beauty. We worship these things and we ask them to give us life and value and meaning. Um, the bottom line is that the question of worship centers on really a deeper question, which is what defines me? What gives me life? Where or what do I get it from? Um, and, and I would say worship is fundamentally about the way we see the world. Everybody worships something. The question is uh, not will you worship, but what will you worship uh, or who will you worship? Because all of humanity does this. It's not something that just religious people do. Um, I think another misconception that we run into when we start talking about worship is that it, worship is an event. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times I have heard um, the question, how was worship today? Or did you like worship today? Um, in like it's this experience that we have as a person, as a self, that's external from me, and then I critique it. I tell you what I think about it. I tell you that it was good or that it was bad or that I liked it or I disliked it or it was too loud or it wasn't my style or this church didn't have my kind of worship and so I went somewhere else. Uh, I didn't get anything out of worship today. I hear that. Uh, or, or, you know, to put it positively, worship was so amazing today. I cried, I wept, I soared. Um, and I mean, the way we speak about worship is pretty ridiculous when you begin to understand it from a biblical perspective. Uh, if an alien came to, to our gatherings and heard us talk about worship, they would think that it's something that you go to, and depending on whether or not you like it or dislike it, uh, you critique it. Um, but that's a completely foreign concept to the Bible and what worship really means. If you look at the story of Genesis chapter 1, uh, you, you begin to see... The, the, the foundations of or the beginnings of a biblical understanding of what worship is. Uh, if you 
Genesis chapter 1 verse 11 says that, that God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees in the land and uh, in the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. So you have this word produce. And, and if, you look, if you dig a little deeper in the Hebrew, the, the, the word that's there is actually desha in the Hebrew. And it means to sprout or to grow. So creation in its original form when God spoke it into being, was given, was endowed by its creator with the ability to produce, to desha, to grow, to sprout, um, to change, to, I mean, if you take a picture of a tree in Minnesota in January, and then you take it this, the, the same picture of the same tree in April, God willing, it will have buds on it and leaves beginning to grow. Why? Because hardwired into creation is this, this, God-given ability to grow, to sprout, to dasha. Uh, if you go further in, in, the, in the poem, in Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image. In our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea. And if you jump down to verse 28, it says, uh, Let them fill the earth and subdue it. And these two words, rule and subdue, are given to humanity, and the, the words are rada and kabash, and they carry with them the, the ideas of responsibility and stewardship. So humanity is invited to rule or have responsibility over creation and to steward that which God has created. So you have God, the creator, who is the life source of all of creation, inviting humanity to participate and partner with him in the ongoing work and stewardship of creation. So worship then in its proper form and light, that which we esteem, give glory to, find life in, should be the human response to God the Creator to participate in life as we know it. It's not an event that we critique, but an attitude that we cultivate and a lens that we see the world through. Worship is a response to God's gracious gift of life which means that everything in life that we experience can be done and, and is done with worship in the background. The question is, what will you worship? It's a, it's, a, it's a fundamental way in which we see the world. Is the world about me and my desires and my happiness and my pleasure, and therefore I do whatever I want that gives me pleasure? Or is there some kind of boundaries and limits in my createdness, in my subjectivity as a human, that I respond to God and his gracious gift of life. And as I do so, with all of this in mind, it's an attitude of worship that I have, that God is the one on the throne, that God is the one at the center, that he's the source, he's the, the, the life, and he gives meaning and value and significance. So worship isn't an event. It's not something we critique. It's not, uh, and I would say another misconception is that it's, it's worship equals singing. Um, when you talk about worship, and especially within religious circles, it's always about singing. It's about the worship leader who essentially straps on a guitar or sits down at the piano and leads the group of people who are gathered in a bunch of songs. That can be worship, but it also can be the farthest thing from worship that you couldn't touch it if you wanted to. Worship is not something that we, ex that we experience or participate in. It's an attitude that we cultivate in our hearts. So singing could be an expression of worship, 
because worship is a condition of the heart. Worship is a fundamental way in which we see the world. Is it about me and my desires, what I want, or is there something else going on here? Uh, so again, worship, singing could be an expression of worship, just like buying a car or a house could be an act of worship. Just like parenting can be an act. Actually, it is an act of worship, and it just depends on how you view things that determines what you're worshiping. Uh, sex can be an act of worship and is an act of worship, just like your job or your vocation. Everything we do, whether we know it or not, is an indicator of our heart's posture. It's a window into what we give glory to, what the song in our heart is, uh, what we describe, what we ascribe definitive and, and qualitative worth to. So let me wrap this up by saying, in Genesis chapter 1, we find a tree. In Genesis chapter, or I'm sorry, in Revelation 21, we find a tree. In the beginning, we find this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and in the end, we find this tree of life. And I want to set up this whole worship series by saying that everything that we experience between these two trees, between our first breath and our last breath, needs to be seen through the lens of worship. The question is not, will you worship? But the question is, what will you worship? How will you see the life that you've been given? How will you view this, this period of time between these two trees, between these two brackets that we call your life? Will you see it as something that is void of, of, a, of a creator, uh, where essentially you just experience whatever you want to experience. You, you get pleasure from this, that, or the other thing, and these are the things that give you value, meaning, and significance? Or will you view it from a different perspective where we are the gracious recipients of a life gifted to us by God? And therefore, everything that we do, everything that we participate in, the way we love our neighbor, the way we, the way we talk to our spouses and our kids, the way we do our jobs, the way we drive our cars, the way we deal with money and sex and relationships, all of that is an act of worship, which points back to and sheds light on what is truly at the center what is on the throne of my heart? What gives me meaning, value, and significance? Because that, my friends, is what is at stake when we're talking about worship.